Hi, this is a message from Dr. Zaid Fadul, President of the Maricopa County Medical Society's Board of Directors. MCMS is unabashedly in favor of physicians. We will work hard to ensure all physicians have a voice in the future of healthcare in the Valley. Dr. Fadul's goals for 2023 are twofold. One, to rebuild the social fabric and camaraderie of the local medical community. Make friends, connect with others for referrals, and support one another for research and improvements in clinical care. Second, to increase the value of membership. We want to help you to save money, learn about changes in healthcare, and leverage the medical society as a help desk throughout your career. So please join us on this journey. Here are a few ways that you can participate. Host a social event at your practice, clinic, or hospital. Get interviewed for our Arizona Physician Magazine. Share your story on this Arizona Physician Podcast. Tell us what discounts or member benefits you would like to receive. And volunteer for a committee. If you're interested in helping MCMS, then please email us. Send a short message to mcms at mcmsonline.com or call us at 602-252-2015. Thank you. And so I think, you know, I have lived through this, many of the same things they have as far as I also experienced, you know, lack of housing and lack of food and what it's like to, you know, receive government support. And so, you know, and what happens when that runs out? What do you do? And so and to learn a new language. So I think that in itself um, is somewhat comforting to patients that they can be a little bit safe in the exam room with me and um, express their needs. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and we are joined by Dr. Baharak Tabarsi. She received her medical degree from the Memorial University in Canada, and then went on to residency in family medicine at McGill University with an additional year of training at the University of Vermont. She is board certified in family medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. Dr. Tabarsi, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's really great that we connected, and um, I wanted to ask you today some more about your background, the connection to social determinants of health, and it will connect to this larger discussion about refugees, specifically, in this case, Afghan refugees. So I understand that your family immigrated from Iran in the 1980s. You attended a university and medical school in Canada, as we mentioned. I'm wondering if you can share with listeners a little bit more about your background and the connection to medicine. Yes. Um, so I grew up uh, in Iran where um, my family was persecuted for our beliefs and in particular our religious beliefs in the, in the Baha'i faith. Um, my dad was actually a physician in Iran. He was an internist and I often um, looked up to him and the good work that he was doing there. But, you know, unfortunately, um, Interesting, as much as they needed physicians, he was not allowed to practice and life got so difficult um, and dangerous for us uh, in Iran that um, my family and I had to uh, flee. Okay. And so you know, after we left Iran and, and evacuated the country and sought asylum uh, with the assistance of the United Nations, actually, we were brought over and um, 
we were able to arrive in the U.S. as uh, as refugees. And I often looked back to the work that my dad did and the service that he was able to provide. And, you know, I, I wanted to be um, in a profession that was service-oriented and noble and always wanted to work with entireties of families and work with vulnerable populations. And so that that led, you know, to my path to choose medicine as career and then family medicine as a specialty. And really, it's a choice that I've made to dedicate my career to working with vulnerable and marginalized patient populations. Wow. How old were you when you came over? I was 11. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, culture shock a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, didn't speak a word of English, you know, started started here in the U.S. in kind of um, middle school and, and, and carried on. But, you know, kids, kids are resilient and people are resilient and we ended up doing, doing well. And I think um, we were grateful to have had the opportunity to be able to create a new life in the U.S. and, and have that safety, you know, when you fear for your life um, and, and you leave that situation, um, there's a big relief at the same time as a, a lot of adjustments that were needed, but big relief. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have similar stories. Let's talk a little bit about that today. And so it sounds like that may have been that connection, right? As you mentioned to uh, serving vulnerable, underserved populations, which is part of this umbrella term that we call, they talk about the social determinants of health. So is that what, so your, your background and coming from around the journey here to the, to America, going to train in Canada, what got you more and more interested in, in social determinants of health and asking your patients, not only, you know, what they're presenting with uh, while you're seeing them in the exam room, but the broader societal questions about what's going on in their lives and how that impacts health? Yes, yes. So, you know, again, it kind of goes back to seeing um, myself and my own family uh, kind of struggle and be impacted by the social determinants of health uh, that we were experiencing at that time. Um, and then, of course, when you practice uh, within a system, a, a hospital that is a safety net hospital system within a federally qualified health center, and you see that you see the impact of patients, whether it's health literacy or transportation issues or access to care, you know, um, and you can, you know, as physicians, we can do all we can in the exam room. But if, you know, we can write all those prescriptions, but if the patient can't pick it up, can't afford it, can't take it, it's it's not going to do any good. So really, it makes you think about almost every day, well, what is, what is my role? What is our role as physicians? Um, and what's considered to be within our lane um, in order to, to impact, you know, health policy or what drives our society to to do better, better for our patients. So, and, you know, social determinants of health is of course one component. And then the other component is ultimately you think about, well, what are the moral determinants of health? You know, what is our, our moral obligation uh, to, to take care of the issues that, that impact our patients? And then what are our political determinants of health? You know, what is our role in, 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 in forming uh, health policy? So um, it's interesting, definitely over the last few years, my interest in this um, area has grown more. And, you know, I, I do some lecturing with, with the medical students because I think 
this is not spoken enough, even um, in medical school and within medical education. So hopefully the next generation of physicians will be more in tune to the needs of patients. Yeah, I hope so. I, I see that happening. I see people asking those questions. Um, I the fortunate to, to know uh, Daniel Dawes, the author of Political Determinants of Health a little mm-hmm. bit. And um, yeah, it, it's becoming... Um, I think people are looking at it more often. I just don't know mm-hmm. if physicians have time to outside of the clinical care to focus on those things. Um, what's your take on that generally? Um, yeah, I talk, you know, it's, yeah. it's interesting because I talk about that to, to medical students. I, I give it, I give a lecture that starts out talking about this stuff. And then I, I dedicate the second half of the lecture to talking about um, moral injury and, and, and resilience and burnout and so bringing it back in full circle, you know, in the medical community, we talk a lot about burnout, just taking care of patients and, you know, in and out of the exam room, um, managing EMR, you know, surveys, uh, you know, productivity, all these things that, that contribute to physician burnout, or even if you want to take it a step further and talk about, you know, uh, moral injury. But at the same time, I think for those who find this type of work fulfilling, it actually helps. It helps you keep going every day, and it helps. It helps that burnout situation. You know the the um, the joy that you feel and that high that you kind of get when you feel like, okay, I've impacted health policy this way, or I've been a voice for this particular patient population that is experiencing X Y Z that can be uh, fulfilling to the point that it can counteract some of that um, struggles that we have with time and lack of time. And, and then, you know, it's a choice. What, what do we want to dedicate ourselves to? And, and it comes down to personal choices, you know, could we yeah. cut back two hours a week and be okay financially and, and accept the financial loss um, and yet feel like we're going to spend those two hours a week, you know, contributing to something, whether it's health policy, meeting with legislators, writing an op-ed or or whatever way we think we can contribute to making these um, societal changes. Because I think, I think, you know, the MD or DO after our name, it carries weight and it has an impact. And I think we need to be involved in these conversations. It absolutely does carry weight. And um, yes, I would urge every physician listening, every healthcare professional listening, to get involved somehow and not wait until later in your career. And you think, Oh, shucks. I, I regret that I didn't do something earlier. I saw this pattern of, of uh, patients coming in and I thought I should have gone upstream to try to prevent some of these things or to change course. Well, there's a lot to get into for that, but I wanted to ask you um, before we take a break here about Afghan refugees. Um, And from what I understand, there were approximately 2000 Afghan refugees who were uh, relocated to Arizona since the Kabul airlift evacuation 2021. How did you start meeting some of the refugees from Afghanistan? Yeah, so, you know, for me, it was uh, it was a little bit of coming full circle. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I fled, you know, the same region and I happened to speak Farsi, which, you know, in Afghanistan, they speak Dari and Pashto. Pashto is, is different, but Dari is very similar to Farsi. And I, um, you know, it truly, when you think about those images from um, 2021, when the evacuation happened, you know, truly it was a humanitarian crisis, right? So um, I felt that 
I, I had a calling and I felt like this was the right time and uh, the right place for me to see how I can in my own small way uh, contribute. And we knew that uh, Arizona was getting a large uh, large number of um, refugees and, and you know, the Department of Health was for sure going to be a little bit overwhelmed. And so all hands on deck to, to see how we can get these folks in, seen, vaccinated, uh, you know, their, their health records reviewed and, uh, you know, their chronic uh, illnesses managed as soon as possible. So there was a need. And I think, um, and I think for me also as a family physician, you know, I'm able to take care of adults and children and, um, you know, I, I do some prenatal care. So it was really, um, I think, you know, as family physicians were particularly well equipped as well to rise to the occasion during such, such a humanitarian crisis. So, um, and I approached my hospital and I said, Hey, you know, we already at Valley Wise Health where I'm, I'm employed, you know, we have a refugee women's clinic and we have a refugee pediatric clinic. And, um, you know, there was some interest in expanding the, the family medicine refugee service line. And so I got involved and, um, and started seeing those patients. And, you know, I've already, I'd already been working at, at Valley Wise um, for 15 year plus. So, you know, used to taking care of immigrant um, vulnerable patient populations. So it wasn't all new to me, but it was really, it was really truly coming full circle in that taking care of population that was, you know, they had just left their country and in, in a very traumatic way, kind of very similar to my own, my own experience from the same regions, both seemed like the right thing to do. Well, I'm glad you were on the team and, and thanks for putting that, that time. Um, we'll take a short break and continue our conversation with Dr. Tabarsi about obstacles that Afghan refugees have faced how her background as an immigrant helped to inform her approach to patients and anything else that uh, any other advice she's got for other physicians listening to the show. We'll be right back. Interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley, want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and podcast, or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation, at MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Baharak Tabarsi. Dr. Tabarsi, on the first half of the show, we talked about your family who had immigrated from Iran in the 80s, um, needed to leave. Your father was a physician and an inspiration to you wanting to get into medicine. And that connection between your experience as an immigrant, I think, and as you mentioned, wanting to serve underserved populations and more marginalized populations, um, social determinants of health, the political determinants of health, et cetera, and how you, you saw it come sort of full circle in helping the Afghan refugees. What would you say are some of the obstacles that Afghan refugees face when they're trying to get medical care? Yeah, so beyond, you know, obviously beyond the, uh, the social stressors that, you know, any refugee patient faces, you know, once they leave their country, having to adjust to a new life, uh, new language, 
learning, you know, learning so much, how to navigate the healthcare system, how to find transportation, what are um, family, family roles, you know, in Afghanistan, the role of women um, can look very different than the role of women here in the United States. So, you know, the cultural norms that one has in their in their you know home country versus um, their country of destination can be quite um, extreme and, and different. So, all these uh, you know things are, are very challenging for patients, uh, and and the stress that uh, that is caused uh, that causes you know some of their their symptoms or physical symptoms is is quite obvious. In particular, you know with with the Afghan. Um, population unfortunately as as many know you know the the situation in afghanistan has only gotten worse with the taliban takeover as far as uh, especially you know taking um, care of women lack of education for women and girls and so what is happening in afghanistan they're very worried about their families back home I've had patients cry in my office because they're worried about a sister or a, or a cousin uh, who's who's back home and has has no access to a future, and so this of course causes increased anxiety and um, problems for patients here. And so you know we have to constantly be thinking, well, how do we how do we you know mitigate uh, some of these stressors? Um, the role of what we call cultural health navigators, we employ many of them at ValleyWise is very critical to the work that we do with refugee patients. Um, you know, taking that extra time with these patients and providing as many resources, integrated behavioral health and other resources that we can. And then really working collaboratively and closely with refugee resettlement agencies, um, such as the International Rescue Committee and, and there are of course others. And so the, the challenges are, are many, um, you know, even looking at, for example, uh, you know, access plans and, and what things are covered for patients. And of course, um, you know, how we can improve their access to care. So it, the, the struggles continue, but I think patients are so grateful ultimately to be here, to be able to get their medical needs um, handled and um, I think they think about their family in Afghanistan, but at the same time, they are relieved to be out. Yeah. Okay. As a physician, is there more data that comes from other members of the team, social workers and others, before a patient gets to you? Like, do you know more about their background or is that part of the conversation that you have with your patients? You know, so we do, you know, we access um, databases that, you know, when, when, patients were or these this population in particular was evacuated just because of the crisis situation they um, were housed initially at u.s bases and over there they did get some medical care and they had some med basic medical vetting there and and we do access that um, their journey is kind of overseen by a refugee resettlement agency so in collaboration with that team, as well as, of course, the Maricopa Department of Health, who does the uh, domestic medical exams. There's a lot of pieces of, of the puzzle and really a lot of folks working collaboratively with each other to make, to make it go as smooth as possible. Okay. How would you say, Dr. Tabarsi, that your background as an immigrant helps to inform your approach to patients, the lens in which you see health conditions and maybe the compassion that you may show and express to patients? 
I think just by me having been them at some point, right? I, I it's interesting because I'll see some families, and not only just uh, not only Afghans. I see you know immigrants from other places uh, in the world, and I see girls, especially when they come to me for for a visit, teenage girls or girls who are ten and eleven years old, and I can I literally see myself in them or them in me. Um, and I'll tell them sometimes I say, you know, I, I was in your situation. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, if you work hard and you get your education, you can become anything you want. You know, you want to be a teacher or, or a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer, whatever you want. And so I think, you know, I have lived through this, many of the same things they have as far as I also experienced, you know, lack of housing and lack of food and what it's like to, you know, receive government support. And so, you know, and what happens when that runs out? What do you do? And so, and to learn a new language. So I think that in itself um, is somewhat comforting to patients that they can be a little bit safe in the exam room with me and um, express their needs. Yeah. And so you think that so, leads but, to a more honest conversation? The parents or, or the patients are willing to be more open with you? I think so. I hope I can, I can inspire more than anything I can inspire. And, you know, whether a patient feels comfortable with a certain clinician versus not, of course, of course, it's very individual, but for sure, have I had patients just because, you know, they'll come to me because I do speak their language and that's natural, right? And this is why we always say representation matters. And this is why it's important to have diversity in medicine. This is why it's important to have, you know, physicians who are black, physicians who are indigenous physicians who are from the Latinx community, because we need that representation. So absolutely. Do patients feel, feel more comfortable? Probably so. Good. Is there anything else that you want physicians listening or other healthcare professionals to know about caring for refugees? I think probably the main thing, because this has come up, I've had some conversations with some physicians, unfortunately, that they um, have kind of questioned, well, what, what is refugee care or why is that a thing? You know, why, yeah. is, why, why is it even, why is it? Yeah. Even why a should thing? I care about that? Yeah. Well, why should I care? Why is it its own thing? Because, you know, truly it's not, it's not like its own, you know, specialty. It's not its own specialty. And it's, a, it's actually a little bit different than global health. So there's obviously a fellowship that one can get in what we call global health, but doing asylee care or refugee care you know, I think physicians, as long as they recognize, it is a little bit its own thing, right? So a physician, a, a physician seeing a patient who has just arrived newly to this country, and they're seeing that patient uh, will probably need a little bit more than what the normal, you know, guideline-driven recommendations are for that age, for that, for that gender. You know, it does involve you collaborating with the Department of Health or with, you know, the, the CDC or whatever the, the organization, the, you know, resettlement agencies to, to review records and to see what was done and what needs to be done. And for each, each patient, depending on the country that they left, you know, there are specific guidelines, you know, what do we screen for? What do we treat for? What do we treat presumptively for? Um, parasitic diseases. So it is, mm-hmm. it is its own thing. And I think sometimes just physicians are just not aware that it, it is a little bit different and it does, uh, you know, the work is just a little bit more nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. And once you start pulling that thread to find out where someone's from and all those different connections, um, it can be complex, especially if you're in private practice. 
and trying to figure yes. out that throughput and <laughs> who's going to follow up and make those phone calls and try to gather those data. Yes, um, and it's a, it's a it's a population that truly does need you know additional resources. And like I said, the role of, for example, a cultural health navigator is vital to the work that we do. So it is, you know, it it does involve working closely with integrated behavioral health. A lot of these patients have, um, you know, they suffer post-traumatic stress syndrome. They, you know, they have anxiety, depression. They're just going through a lot. And so having those wraparound services is really critical to their care. Well, Dr. Baharak Tabarsi, family medicine doc, board certified um, and working at Valley Wise Health. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015. Helping physicians be the best they can be.